So this is the final Sunday morning edition of Christmas at the Movies for this year. And how about you? I've been having a lot of fun with this series. And it was really hard to narrow down the movies because, you know, there are, there are tons of Christmas movies that are really great, tons of them that you can find deep meaning in, uh, but it was really hard. And so if you haven't been here with us, what we've been doing is we've been looking at Christmas classics because we believe that, that God can be found and can teach us in anything. And he can do it through things that weren't necessarily created to bring him glory or honor, but that he is so wonderful, so majestic, so worthy of our praise that he, even through things like movies, can teach us if we are looking. And we've also talked about how Jesus would oftentimes uh, teach people through these stories called parables, where the story didn't need to be factually true, but it would help bring about truth to teach the people. And so that's what we've been doing with movies. And so we've been going through this idea of the different themes of Advent, like hope and peace and joy. And we've looked at movies like Home Alone and like It's a Wonderful Life. And last week we did Elf. Today I'm excited because uh, as you heard them read the Advent reading before, today we're talking about love. And when I think about uh, a love story in a Christmas movie, um, There's not many that I think much better. So check out this clip and you'll see uh, what movie we're talking about this morning. This is John. Nice bear. He just wants to spend Christmas with the family. Is Daddy coming home with you? We'll see what Santa and Mommy can do. But when he gets stuck at the office party... Merry Christmas! It'll be a holiday... Merry Christmas! He'll never forget. Christmas, get ready to jingle some bells and deck the hall. Merry Christmas. Die Hard. This is their idea of Christmas. I gotta be here for New Year. I know this is the movie you guys were assuming we were gonna do, right? Can we at least agree Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Raise your, how many believe Die Hard? Actually, I shouldn't say. How many know that Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Thank you. I'm not seeing very many ladies raise, I'm seeing at least one. Yes! Alright, I'm kidding. Although it is a great story of sacrifice and love. I mean, the guy walked on the glass barefoot, trying to save his wife. Come on. There's so many Christmas scenes. Alright, fine. We're not doing Die Hard, although it is a great Christmas movie, and it deserved some honor. In the midst of this, I don't know that many churches who are doing Christmas at the movies who are going to touch Die Hard. So um, I was the crazy enough one. So we were like, why did we hire you again? All right. So for real today, what we're actually looking at is we are looking at the Grinch. Now, the Grinch is both classic and new, right? You know, there is the 1966 version. It obviously was based on uh, the book by Dr. Seuss. Then there's the 2000 live action version with Jim Carrey. And then they recently, was it just last year, came out with the newest version. All right, so show of hands real quick. How how many would say your favorite out of those is the old school 1966 half an hour version? All right, what about the Jim Carrey 2000 version? What about the uh, newest version? Who's like, I just don't even care. Like, stop making me raise my hands. Yeah! I see you, Chuck. I'm not going to say Chuck McCoskey did raise his hand on that one, but I'm going to say it. No, The Grinch is a great story. So let me give you, before we watch a little clip, let me give you a bit of a synopsis if you've forgotten what The Grinch is all 
about. And again, some of the different versions tell different angles of the story, but kind of the original basis of the story is that there is this land where there are these people called the Who's, and they live in Whoville, and they love Christmas. They, as far as we know, are incredibly joyful, generous, and loving people, and Christmas is their favorite time of the year. Now, off in the mountains nearby, there is this creature, this thing. I don't even, I don't even know if we, I don't, I don't know how you categorize him as, uh, but known as the Grinch. And he's this green guy who uh, lives uh, away from the Who's because he both hates Christmas and really, you could probably make the argument, he just kind of hates people in general. And he is a person who does not have a lot of joy, is isolated, and you could really say doesn't understand love. He's a person who in many ways hasn't really received love and so he doesn't give out love. And so he gets this idea that he's tired of them being so happy and so joyful and so loving with each other that he is going to steal Christmas. Now, as we'll talk about later, he's both successful and unsuccessful. We'll see in a moment. But I want to, I want to begin the message by showing you a clip from the 2000 version. One of the reasons why probably the 2000 version is my favorite is you get a little bit more backstory than just what the book gives and what the uh, uh, 1966 version shows us. Because I think more and more as I get older, I've uh, felt, and maybe this is true in your own context as well, the more I can understand a person's story, the better I can love them, the better I can understand them. And in this version of the movie and in this clip you're going to see, we get a better idea of why the Grinch is the way that he is. And to set up this scene, uh, we, we figure out that the Grinch actually is kind of abandoned. He's orphaned and he's taken in by these uh, two ladies. And he was always a little bit different and a little bit off. But in this clip, we're going to see how he begins to have a little bit of a change of heart about Christmas for the very first time. So check out this video real quick. For some reason, when he came home that day, he really got into the Christmas spirit for the first time. Baby, picture you and Perfect. me. Perfect. Hanging around a Christmas tree. Whoopee. Call it like an angel of a bar. Here's what love loves. Take it off. 
We can understand when someone experiences rejection, when someone feels like no one is really with them or for them, that it's hard for them to really be a loving person. We were wired to experience love. There's something inside each in every one of us, that we were wired to experience love. That when we experience rejection, when we experience an absence of love, we oftentimes reflect that back out. This morning as we dive in, I want to talk about this idea of what it means to um, experience true love, how we find true love in uh, Christ, and a little bit about how our hearts can be transformed by love just the way that later on we'll see the Grinch's was. So it's important for us to start off with this idea of understanding the words that we find in Scripture for love. And we've been talking about through the series how, again, the Bible was not written originally in uh, English, but it was written in the Old Testament in uh, Hebrew and in the New Testament, the story of Jesus, his life, his teaching through the uh, early church uh, in Greek and Aramaic. And in particular, we we recognize that love is one of those words that the English language does not really do justice for. Because here's the reason why. You know, in in, in the Greek New Testament, there's different words that mean uh, an affectionate love for a friend or a family member, or a a love that is more romantic, or a love that has more to do with uh, 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 just like an object or thing of that nature. But in English, we use the same word. I, 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 in the same way, could say, I love my mom, and I love Taco Bell. That I love my son, and I love the Detroit Pistons, even though it's hard. I could say that I love each and every one of you, and I love my wife. And we recognize that there's different types of love. Right? There's the difference even between saying, I love you to someone you got the hots for, and I love you to your dog. At least we hope there's a difference there. If there's not a difference there, I'm not judging you, but let us help you find help. 
They write about some of that in the Old Testament. It's not good. But so love, when we think about this, there's this word for love that's more important, that, that oftentimes we, we, we try to use scriptures in, in weddings and things like that for this idea of romantic love that is never about romantic love. And it's this word called agape. And maybe you've heard this word before, but this idea of agape love, and this is a different type of love. It's not a love that's about romance or just friendship. It's an unconditional love. It's sacrificial in nature. It's pure and it's selfless and it comes from God. It's something that though we can give a byproduct out of, it's not something you can create inside of yourself. When you want to have a picture of agape love, the best picture is just Jesus in his sacrifice for you. It's this pure, selfless love that there's nothing you could do to earn and receive it. It's not something that you can wield and have power over, but it is a gift from God. Now, Scripture obviously talks lots about love and different types of love, but we're going to focus in on agape love. In uh, 1 John chapter 4, this is a uh, book that's written in uh, towards the end of the New Testament. It, John explains a lot about this type of love, and he just says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. We could really just translate it into God is agape. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into this world that we might live through him. This is, this is this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an anointing or atoning sacrifice for our sin. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now let's talk about a few things that are in there. There's a lot that we could unpack all morning. But it's just this. We recognize this idea that a love that we have from one another truly comes from God first. We recognize that in this, the story of Christmas is there. You might not have the wise men or the manger or all of those sort of stuff, but this is truly the story of Christmas, is that God showed us his love. He showed us what love looks like because, again, he says that God is love. And I've said this before, and I'll say this again. If you want to see what God looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus came as the personify, personification of God and his love. And so when Jesus came into this world as a baby, born in a manger, to a virgin, he showed us what love looks like. And love, really when we break it down, agape love, is this concept of being with and being for. That there's this idea that God so loved us, not because of anything we did, not because of anything we could earn, but because he is just so loving in nature that he came to redeem and restore the broken relationship that we messed up going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And so he showed us this love. He showed us that the theme of Christmas isn't presence, isn't just joy or hope or all those things, but truly that it's love. That it's the beginning of the king of kings and Lord of lords coming into this world. That at the end of the day, hope and peace and joy are only a byproduct of love, of agape love. In the Gospel of John, 
chapter 13, Jesus expounds upon this idea of love. And he just says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. And again, this is this special type of love. Because the truth is, romantic love, Lord knows we don't need that much help with that, right? I mean, you turn on a Hallmark movie, whether you're a guy or a girl, and you get sucked in. Just, I, just be real, okay? I can remember many a times before I met my wife, especially when I was in those college days and maybe my heart was broken and, you know, you sit down with mom and she turns on the Hallmark movie and you're like, oh, this is stupid, and, but eventually she walks away and you're sucked in. I mean, come on. It's real. And then you're like, I want that. I wish there was a small town baker who was a female um, who would fall in love with me. We don't need, we don't need help having love for our, well, we might need help with love for our family, but honestly, most of us have a natural disposition to, to have an affinity or, 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 or this desire to have family, right? Most of us don't need someone to teach us how to love a sports team or food or, or a show. I mean, no one had to teach me to love Star Wars. I just, the force was in me. By the way, I'm holding back from giving some spoilers because, woof. I'll just say this. I never thought that we'd figure out that Chewbacca was the father. That's all I'll say. Some of you are like, you're such a geek. Yes. Yes, I am. But we learn all of this from this idea that this agape love is something that, 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 that when we understand, if we really want to see it, we just look at Jesus and we look at the way that he loved us and he commands us and calls us to love other people in the same way. Now, if we go back to the Grinch movie, we recognize that the Grinch becomes this grumpy, isolated person who hates people and really just wants to like, I mean, he really wants to go out of his way to like make everyone miserable. It's because we understand this concept. We've all heard it before, right? That, that hurt people hurt people. That, 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 that for the most part, when, when people get hurt, it's only a matter of time before their hurt is going to spill out on someone else. But as we've said here, some of you probably have even seen where, where the shirts recently here at South Creek, we believe this. We believe also that loved people love people. We believe that, 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 that love is power, more powerful than hate. We believe that, that, that the hurts that we've experienced, that God sees them, and he feels sad for you in those, but he wants you to know that there is a different way forward. That you can be made whole, you can be redeemed, you can be restored through the transformation of his agape love. And that when we've been transformed by that love, it gives us the power and the opportunity to love people the way that Christ loves us. I love this, this verse here. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. This is written by Peter. Peter, who was a disciple of Christ. Peter, who uh, is so adamant the night that Jesus is betrayed that he would never betray him, would never leave him, never abandon him. This is the guy who three times in less than a 24-hour period, denies Christ. This is a guy who understands sin and a guy who understands how the transformation of love can cover so much of our brokenness and our mistakes. How about you? That's really good news. 
Spoiler alert, you will never, on your own, experience victory over sin. Every single one of us have a natural disposition that leads us towards a bent to think more about ourselves and less about others. To try to go through this life without God. And so the good news is that the love of God, the agape love, it covers a multitude of of sin. And I love this idea because let's be honest, in this world that we live in today, I don't know if it really is more so than ever, but regardless, we live in a divided tribalistic world where it's so much, if you're with them, then I'm against you. And if you're sitting over there, I'm against you. And you know what the beautiful thing about the love of Christ? I think if Jesus was here today, he would make So many people angry for so many reasons. But one of the things that I think he would anger people so much is that he would sit with enemies. He would sit with people who, 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 who are polar opposites, who disagree on so many ways, who would never have anything to do with one another. And he would sit there and allow transformation in relationship to people who the world says should be at odds with one another. They would come together, not because of an eloquent speech, but because of the power of love. And yes, I just quoted Huey Lewis in the news. But the power of agape love breaks down walls of division and of sin. And I'm just going to call it what it is. In this world today, there is division of sin on all sides of different tables, uh, politically, uh, religiously, all sorts of ways that I think God looks and says, no, 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 no. Christmas is about the fact that I sent my son into this world so there could be this new world where love could restore all of these things. That it would be good news to all people. That it would transform everything. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And he wrote this famous uh, set of verses that you're going to hear that you've probably heard at a wedding before. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with it if, if, if the officiant uses it in its proper context. But it frustrates me when people are like, I want 1 Corinthians 13 at my wedding because I just want that type of love from my husband where it's about me. And let me just say, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't about you. 1 Corinthians 13 is about the love of God. Now, In its proper context, we can talk about it from the standpoint of this is the type of love that you and your marriage should seek out and give, but it's not about romance. But this is what Paul wrote. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing. I don't know about you, but some of those things he just listed there are fairly impressive. Some of y'all could move a mountain. I'd be like, that's pretty cool. This is what he says agape love is all about, though. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It's not proud, 
It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Can I tell you, if we were to put any other type of love in there, this wouldn't be true. Your romantic love will fail. Your love for different objects and things and concepts and groups will fail. Your love for a child or a parent will fail. But at the end of the day, the agape love of God will never fail. It's the only thing in this world that has no opportunity to disappoint you, to abandon you, or to hurt you. And it's also the only love that truly heals and restores you. You see, the issue is some of us, we seek out different types of love, hoping that that will be the thing that restores us and redeems us and makes us feel whole. But the issue is it will not. Paul goes on in in, in chapter 13, verses 13, and he says this, And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Faith is great, and it's important. Hope is great, and it's important. But again, both of these things are a byproduct of this love. And we recognize that among everything else, when it comes to judgment someday, And the reality is we never like to talk about that. People feel weird about that. But there will be a judgment at the end of times for us. You know what God's going to be looking at and how he's going to be judging us? It's not, did you make it to Sunday service every Sunday? It's not going to be, how much money did you give? It's not going to be, uh, did you vote this way or did you vote that way? It's going to be, how did you love? And did you receive my love? Some of us, sadly, could spend our whole lives hearing messages about the free gift and grace of the love of Jesus Christ, and we still mess it up because we keep trying to earn it, and we keep trying to manufacture it, and we keep trying to figure out ways in which we can do enough things. And so many of us need to stop trying so hard to get the attention of God and recognize He's already madly in love with you. And he already desires nothing more than for you just to lay down all that you have. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And just allow him to create you into who he wants you to be. To be a son, to be a daughter. And some of us need to recognize that there's nothing, there's nothing you could do that could ever separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing you could do. Lord knows, I know in my own life, there are days where I have to check myself and recognize that I'm still trying to earn something that I can't earn, that only God has given me. And I have to recognize that that, that, that there's not enough churchy things I can do, there's not enough different things I can do to measure up, that it's only this free gift that he gives me. 
But I also have to start recognizing too, which is hard, is that I can't truly say I understand agape love if I'm not handing it out. My friends, my family, and my enemies. Because the truth is, every single one of us, because of sin, have this crazy tension of a relationship where we were created as sons and daughters. But because of our sinful, rebellious ways, we become enemies and at odd with God because of our sin. And we recognize that the most beautiful thing about the love of Christ is this idea that God, while we were still sinners, while we still were enemies against him, loved us, sent his son for us, offered us new life. I want you guys to check out this last clip. This is, this is from the 1966 uh, version of The Grinch of, of this transformation that happens. So check out this clip. It started in low, then it started to grow. at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzle was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more.
But in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then, the true meaning of Christmas came through, and the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches, plus two. I love that scene, and even though in some ways I, 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 I might even like the the 2000 version better for a couple reasons I'll say in just a second, but I, I love just that visual picture of just a heart exploding. And I know some of you this morning, whether you want to admit it or not, feel a little bit like the Grinch. Maybe you're not uh, this grumpy, curmudgeoned, hairy green person, but your heart feels a little bit like that. You're running on fumes, and in some ways you're waiting and hoping for a miracle. This morning I want you to know that only love, agape love, and we recognize that God is love, only love can transform a heart. It's not going to be anything else in your life. It's only going to be the love of God that will transform your heart. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, in in, 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 in John's way of telling the Christmas story, he says this. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and he's speaking of Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This morning, some of us need to be reminded that the darkness will not win. That the light of the world, Jesus Christ, will always win. Because He is a God who didn't stay distant, didn't just sort of magically change everything in our world for us, but instead came near. He came to be among us, to show us the way, to be the way, and to pay the ultimate price for us. My life verse, my favorite verse in all of Scripture is John chapter 12, verse 46, and it just says this. This is Jesus talking. I have come into this world as a light so that no one who believes in me could stay in darkness. My hope and prayer this morning is you recognize you don't have to stay in the darkness anymore. And I hope that you recognize this morning that love changes everything. And I hope you experience new life in Him so bad. Because I know what it's like to be in the dark. I know what it's like to feel like your heart feels like it's barely there. But I also know what it feels like for your heart to grow three sizes bigger. And that only comes from surrendering your life to Christ. To acknowledging that He is Lord and that there's sin in your life asking Him for forgiveness, and asking Him to be the Lord of your life and to seek to be a disciple, a follower of Him and His teaching. The good news of Christmas is just this. The greatest gift you could ever receive is giving your heart to Him, letting Him transform it, and following Him for the rest of your days. Would you guys stand? I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing one last song. God, I thank you for your agape love. 
God, a love that, that we can't manufacture, a love that we can't manipulate or do anything with, but it's, it's something that only we can freely give out to others as we've experienced it from you. God, this morning I pray for those who maybe, God, their hearts feel like they're small. God, would you grow them in this moment? Would your Holy Spirit descend upon this place? And would people's lives be forever transformed because of this moment? Would they experience new life in you? Would they experience the love maybe for some for the first time or maybe some for the first time in a long time? And God, maybe for some of us this morning, you just want to speak words over us to say, would you share that love with someone else? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, a child, a parent, a neighbor, whoever it may be, God, would we be people of love? And in this moment, would we experience your love? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.